begin our service today, or not service, but the sermon section of the, the service. Father in heaven, thank you for being the master communicator. Thank you for once again doing what you do so well, and that is drawing us to yourself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue our series looking at the believers in Ephesus. Oh, Bill, I'm getting a, quite a bit of that tinny feedback. Yeah, there we go. As we're continuing our series looking at the, what was happening with the spirit in the community of the believers in Ephesus, we find ourselves today in the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. The video, the short, teeny little bit, the 34-second video was... Um, spliced out of a much longer documentary shown on National Geographic. Uh, if you uh, looked on YouTube, you'll be able to find several of those documentaries on that person. <clears throat> he used to be employed uh, as a Christian minister of a denomination in the United States until he was fired, and then in 1989, he thought, this idea came in his mind that he himself is the Messiah. He is God. And if that's not uncomfortable or unbiblical or awkward enough, you, we could literally get in a bus and he has hundreds of his followers who not just him, but hundreds of men, women, young and old, also think he is the Messiah. And we could get in the bus and so we could drive over to their compound because it's just right over in New Mexico. Educated. They, if you look at the documentary more, it's this haunting. I mean, literally, I was really clear with Bill. I said, you got to stop it at 34 seconds. If you even go a second more, I mean, it just goes downhill fast. They, New Mexico, the state of New Mexico finally arrested him and put him in jail for 10 years because how he was treating children and women, if you know what I'm saying. And yet hundreds of people are flocking to him and believing and accepting that he is the Messiah. It happens just one little step at a time. You can look at the video and you can see some of the women. You're like, whoa, I mean, what is, what is that? They didn't start that way on day one. Just like you leaving your house and coming here, it didn't happen like that. You get out of bed, you shower, you slowly put on your clothes, you eat, then you brush, and then you... Make your way to the V, or you find your keys, then you, it's one block and another, and a half a mile, and then a mile and two, and then you finally get here. 
they didn't arrive in that condition immediately. It's just one unique decision after another and after another. <laughs> if you read the documentary, I'm not going to share all the information because it's just so, I mean, wow, it is something else. For approximately 30 years, for three decades, he's been saying this and hundreds of people have been following him. Some of them sing, because they, they profess to be Christians, they sing songs out of a hymnal that most, if not all of you, have sung more than once. The same hymnal. They go to prayer meeting every Wednesday night. They go to church every weekend. And if I told you which day, that might really set you back. Yeah. <laughs> he, he keeps setting dates thinking that God the Father is going to return. Of course, he can't say the Messiah is going to return because he thinks he's the Messiah and he's already here. So he says God the Father is going to return. But, you know, not everybody lives in New Mexico. So... There's people in Russia. Somebody thinks they're the Messiah. There's somebody in Australia. There's somebody in Brazil. There's somebody in Miami. The actual original, real, true Messiah says in, what was that, uh, Matthew 24, verses 4 to 14, the real Messiah, Jesus, said that there will be many people who think they're the Messiah and many more who will believe them. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 puts it this way. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. Now, the Greek word for fall away is aphistomy. It simply means remove yourself. So there were people falling away from the faith in Jesus. There, was, there were people who were willingly choosing to remove themselves from faith in Jesus. Now, to oversimplify it, there's basically two ways to do that. <clears throat> um, neither are good, but one is much worse than the other. Now, one way to remove yourself from faith in Jesus um, is to basically, uh, I'm still getting a little metal in feedback, <clears throat> one way to do that is, is to basically reject Jesus Call yourself an atheist, stop going to church, and that's kind of the obvious overt big way, hey, I'm no longer a believer, I'm against it. And the other way is much more subtle and a hundred times more dangerous, and that's what Paul is writing about. <clears throat> the other way of, of, of falling away or removing yourself from the faith is to stay in church. Consider yourself a believer but remove yourself from God. You say, well, I mean, how, who would do that and how does that, I mean, what, come on. Well, the Bible talks about a person named Cain and he did that. God was very clear with Cain 
God is very clear about how he wanted him to do the offerings and how he wanted him to do the sacrifices. And it happens just one little step at a time, like I mentioned earlier, like driving here or like me going across the stage. I can't get one way to the other really quick, but I just take one step at a time. Wasn't there some Asian proverb that said something like that? A journey of a thousand miles just starts with one step. If you keep taking those little steps, you eventually get there. And, and, and some of the people in Ephesus were in this bad habit of, of staying in church, which in itself is a good thing, but they were removing themselves from trusting Jesus. And as you keep doing that in your mind, you just drift away from God. And the dangerous thing, the subtle thing, the, the, the most dangerous part about it is it is that the human mind can trick yourself into thinking you're actually doing something good that God would like. This, was, this is what Cain did. God was so clear. He said, this is I want you to sacrifice and do offering and worship. This is I want you to do it. And what did Cain do? Cain decided, well, he would just try something a little different. His idea was fine. Abel's like, no, 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 no. God was really clear. This is how we do this. And Cain heard the same exact message. The first human being born, third human being created, almost perfect. And already sin was rampant in his amazing brain trying to say, I, I hear God. I hear God. But you know what I'm thinking? No, you'll like this. Let, let, let me explain. This is how I want to try this. And Cain didn't leave in the sense of he didn't think God didn't exist. He knew God existed. He just thought he would kind of come up with a different option. Let me do it his way, right? That's human. Ananias and Sapphira tried that. King Saul tried that. Korah tried that. The Bible has haunting stories of people who've tried that. It's my opinion if we were to go to their door and knock on their door and you're doing some community survey, oh, we just have a few questions. Yeah, yeah. So what, what country is your origin? Are you male or female? And oh, uh, and what faith do you identify with? It's, oh, oh, check the box that says I'm a believer in the one true God. They all would say that. They all would say that. Cain saw God face to face. Korah was a leader in God's first remnant. Saul, he was the king of, he was the first king in God's remnant. The king of Israel. I mean, how many of us can put those things on our resume? I mean, mercy. The, o the only wrinkle, the only little part that's hard to ignore is, 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 is this. Is the Bible... The Bible, God's Word, it's not to be changed. The Bible, God does not describe them as believers, even though they would think of themselves as believers. Jesus talks about this, and Paul, this isn't new, in Acts 20, Acts 20, verse 28 and on. As Paul is communicating a few years before, he wrote them the first, uh, first uh, book of Timothy. <clears throat> a few years prior, Luke records it in, in Acts 20. <clears throat> when uh, Luke 
uh, when, when Luke is with Paul and Paul is there meeting with the elders of Ephesus in the town of Miletus. And he's describing this and, hey, this is going to happen. This is going to be coming to your church. So later, a couple years later, when he's writing the, first, the book of 1 Timothy, he's simply reminding them, hey, remember, we had this talk with you, I mean, with the elders of your church when we met in person in Miletus. I mean, you should remember that, that this is going to be coming. And as he puts it in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it's going to be coming from, from, from in your church, as he writes, by means of the hypocrites of liars. Now, now, we know this logically when a non-believer is, when a non-believer is not acting on faith and, and telling you not to act on faith, that's consistent. Because they're a non-believer and they don't want you to believe. That's consistent. A hypocrite, by definition, is saying one thing but doing another. And in Paul's context here, that's Church. Because he's saying it's happening with hypocrites. It's going to be happening in the church. That will be saying one thing, but doing another. The Bible, unfortunately, has too many of these illustrations. <clears throat> like uh, the time that, that uh, we're all familiar with. We tell it to our kids. We do it for kids' story. We do it for Sabbath school. <clears throat> the time where, <clears throat> where God himself, through endless miracles took his first remnant out of slavery, out of Egypt. And he, and he wanted to set them free, right? And, and he conquered the biggest, baddest military of the time in, in Egypt. He parted a big body of water like the Red Sea. When it was cold, he'd warm them. When it was hot, he'd cool them. He gave, did magic and he gave them water. He gave them food. And he just did one miracle after another after another. And the Bible approximates about a million people came out of Egyptian slavery. And God says, I just want to set you free and give you your own land for free. Milk and honey and fruits and vegetables and freedom. And you worship me in peace. And, and the majority of those people said, no, we're, we're going to apply 1 Timothy 4, 2 and 1. We're going to remove our faith from trusting you. And where did that come from? It came from people like Korah and other leaders and members in the church. And God said, man, I'm more stubborn than you are. I'm more stubborn than you are. He said, I'm going to send the best prophet, priest, teacher, servant that the world's ever seen. I'm going to send Jesus. They'll listen to Jesus. Because Jesus wanted to to help their spiritual confusion and, and help them to grow. And, and where did the biggest challenge come from for Jesus? The church leaders. The church leaders. And Jesus says, hey, I am, don't test me on this, I am more stubborn than humans. And he said, I'm going to keep sharing Jesus, the death and resurrection and the benefits of Jesus. I'm going to keep doing it. What did he do? Uh, Jesus said as before he left, he's going to send out the disciples like lambs before the slaughter. And that's what happened. He sent out, uh, Judas decided to kill himself, but then the other disciples were sent out. And, and as the disciples went out, where did the biggest challenges come from? The church leaders. They killed 10 of the original 12 disciples thinking 
they were not only thinking they were not only doing a good thing, but thinking they were doing God a service. Thinking they were doing God a service. This is what Jesus refers to in John 16, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 1, 2, and 3. He said, there'll come a day when people will kick you out of the church and not only kick you out of the synagogue, they will actually kill you and they will think they're doing God a favor. And here again, this isn't atheists. To their credit, and I'm not trying to be mean to atheists, to their credit, atheists don't even think God is real. When atheists do things, good or bad, they don't think they're doing God a favor because they don't think God is real. Who typically does something and thinks they're doing God a favor? People who think there's a God. But according to Jesus himself in the Gospel of John chapter 16, verse 3, he said, but they don't know God the Father or Jesus. Or they wouldn't be trying to kick people out of church and hurt people and and literally, in some cases, kill them. (coughs) It's a scary thing when, when people think they're helping society, helping the church, and doing God a favor by being hurtful, by, by staying in church, saying you're a Christian, but actually removing yourself from Christ. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. They'll remove themselves from, from faith in Jesus. Not from church, not from professing to be believers, but removing themselves from faith in Jesus. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by the means uh, of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Paul is so passionate about this because he knows from his own life, Paul knows from his own life how challenging this is and how hard it is to get out of that group and the damage it does to your own experience. He refers to it like a branding iron on the brain. Being raised in Montana on a farm and ranch, I've seen this many, many times my parents had cows. My brother has cows. I know plenty of other people who has cows. So, any of you ever seen uh, a cow get branded? A few of you. It's quite the ordeal. <laughs> the cow knows it. Everybody else around them knows it. That's a, that's a, uh, people who get tattoos nowadays think it's real cool. Branding's a whole nother level. Uh, this, that's a, I mean, you know, tattoo is a commitment, but branding is a whole, whole nother level of commitment. <laughs> the, the lady here, it's, it's hard to get a clear picture, but the lady in the lower left part of the screen, uh, she's tattooed her, she's branded her skin in a way that it's, it's um, popping out, and it'll be that way forever. <laughs> and, and Paul refers to this like being branded for a couple reasons. If you've ever had your skin severely burned or know someone who's burned their skin, I mean like really serious, you know that uh, it takes a long time for that, for that skin to be soft and sensitive and respond again. And if it's bad enough burn, it just never gets back to the same way. And so too spiritually. 
as we continue to, uh, you know, as Paul's reminding them, if they continue to not hear the Holy Spirit, that it's like branding their brain. And every time they tell God no, they just keep getting further and further away so that the next time the Holy Spirit wants to try and help them, their, their brain is like skin and their brain is less sensitive to hear God and say yes. Next time God wants to simply help them. And the other new, unique thing about a brand is, uh, is, is in thinking of like the cattle is that when you brand something, it is, it is such a, a, a powerful, clear way of communicating that Paul is trying to get their attention to say, hey, pay attention to the choices you're making and the thoughts you're thinking because just like a cow and anybody who walks in your pasture, you're like, oh, that's, that's yours. Oh, these belong to you and, and these are yours and those are yours because you can, everybody can clearly see the brand. Oh, we know who that belongs to. And God is saying, based on the choices they were making and the thoughts they were thinking, it, it's, it's like whatever you're choosing is being branded on you. Revelation calls it the seal of God or the mark of the beast because our choices and our thoughts and our actions are like putting a brand being burned into our brain about who you belong to. And so Paul is saying, hey, pay attention to what, what you're choosing because you should be able to see what you're branding yourself with. Are you branding yourself with Jesus or is it something else? 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 4, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men back in their day, some of them that they were having a challenge with, men were forbidding marriage, advocating abstaining from food, which God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For, every created, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. For it's sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. The Holy Spirit was was warning the Ephesian members, do not remove yourself from Jesus. Do not remove yourself from Jesus. And it's just a human, in my opinion, it's, 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 a, it's a tempting human response. It's a tempting human response to say, who would do that? I mean, the, the video's a little dramatic. The verse is a little heavy. I mean, who would do that? I mean, time out, pastor. I mean, who would do that? We, I mean, we know better, right? Who would do that? Not five, not ten, not fifteen, not a hundred, not a thousand angels, not five percent, not ten percent, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, not thirty percent of the angels. A third, a third of the angels in heaven did this. A third of them. They're smarter than us. They were perfect. They could touch Jesus. They saw him create the earth. They've seen it all. They've touched it all. Wow, there's the Father. There's the Son. And that elusive little Holy Spirit, there they all are. They're in heaven. They can touch it. They can 
feel it. They saw the river of life. All of it. I mean, how much faith do they need? And a third of the perfect angels did this. They removed themselves one strange day. They just thought, we don't trust him anymore. A third. So as you're driving home and you're thinking your thoughts and you think, that was a little heavy. Who's going to do that? Remember this. A third of the perfect angels. The best result you've ever had in a test, the angels would do much better and do it much quicker. Don't kid yourselves. The angels were smarter than us. And a third of them removed themselves from trusting Jesus. So did Cain. So did most of the Israelites that God pulled out with miracles out of Egypt. So did King Saul, and so did Ananias and Sapphira. How do you walk with Jesus for three and a half years? <coughs> how do you be as close as you two and you? And how do you be that close with Jesus? And you saw him raise Lazarus out of the tomb. And the little boy, I'm forgetting that, um, you know, as the funeral procession was going by, and I mean, I mean, just the Bible, all the stories in the, in the Bible even says, hey, you know, the Bible w- would fill this whole room if we put in all the stories of every amazing th- thing Jesus did. And Judas was right there and watching the whole thing. How do, you, how do you do that and not trust Jesus? Judas found a way. He was the educated one. He was the one that was supposed to be smart and put together, and he was in God's first remnant. The Bible has lots of haunting stories of people that have stuff in common with us. Think there's a God. Think we should tithe an offering. Think you should pray. Think you should sing about Jesus, which, you know, the little kids did an awesome job today. Thank you, thank you, and the big kids too. And they think you should go to prayer meeting, and you talk to God and he's real but the Bible also has too many sad stories of people religious people who they willingly chose to remove themselves from trusting God it's not my words (laughs) it's not my words According to Paul in the Bible, the Holy Spirit says that in later times. Yeah, it was for them in Ephesus, but we're later more in time than they are. And Revelation talks about it too, and so does Hebrews, that there'll be time, you know, as we get closer to the end, more falling away. The Holy Spirit, not me, not your mother, not the person sitting next to you, the Holy Spirit explicitly says that in later times, not everybody, praise God, but some, <coughs> some, <coughs> some will fall away from the faith. And yes, I know people, and you probably too do too, some have left Jesus, they've denied that he exists, and they've literally left the church, and that's really unfortunate. But what Paul is referring to here 
is that sometimes people can do it even though they're still sitting here. The person on the video used to be a minister of a Christian church. And he, one little step at a time, one little decision at a time every day, now he thinks he is the Messiah. And, and I think we could all agree on this, that the majority of people will not believe and accept and fall for a false Messiah. Praise God. Most people won't get into that confusion. But let's be clear, Satan doesn't care. Satan doesn't care uh, what it is that you fall for as long as we remove ourselves from trusting Jesus. He doesn't care what, it, what, what snare it takes. He doesn't care. Yeah, having a false Messiah to me just seems like, wow, how, how could you go there. But I also don't know how, as Paul puts here in verse, in verse 3, how in the world could some of the Ephesians believe that God was against marriage? It's all over in the Bible. Who do you think created it before sin? And even food. And yet I know, you may, unfortunately, I know, I know, <clears throat> I know people who have removed themselves from saved by grace over carrots and phony bologna, and steak, and lettuce, and that type of stuff. My word. Satan could care less what pulls you away from Jesus. He could care less. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in later times... <clears throat> some will fall away from the faith. They'll remove themselves from faith in Jesus. Instead, they're going to pay attention to deceitful things and spirits and doctrines that are just not biblical. And it's going to be coming from hypocrites and who, who it's seared in their own conscience as if with a branding iron. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is was giving them warning in advance. The Holy Spirit was giving them warning in advance. Don't lose your faith in Jesus. And for everybody, for all these years, and now us here, those on camera, those who are here today, once again, the Holy Spirit through the written word in the Bible is reminding us explicitly, pleading with us, don't remove yourself from trusting Jesus. History and the Bible are filled with people who not only did that, but some of them, like Cain, did it in a way that they actually thought God would like better than his own plan. The Bible has clear plans. Jesus saving people through his death and resurrection alone is a wonderful, clear plan. Don't let anything... Don't let anything remove you from faith in Jesus. <clears throat>